Welcome to Brood in America, the podcast that offers you some perspective on America. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We hope you enjoyed our special last week for Memorial Day. We had a lot of fun making that episode, had a lot of good feedback from that, and had one of our record weeks with that episode. So thank you so much for tuning in. We're looking for uh, looking forward to another exciting episode this week that you do not want to miss. We have a great coffee that we're going to try today, as well as offer a little bit of commentary on some political events events from the past week. So strap in and let's get going. All right, so this week we are going to Pine Top Coffee Company, coffee roasters, I guess, uh, over in Arizona. This was recommended to us by a listener, Amanda Dorosky, over in Arizona. And this is a fantastic coffee. I am very pleased with the recommendation. So thank you, Amanda, for recommending the coffee to us. Uh, I am sipping on the Navajo blend today. Uh, so a couple things about this coffee that I like. Number one, uh, it is, it's hearty. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of coffees out there that you can brew and brew and brew as dark as you want, as bold as you want, as heavy as you want with grounds. And it never seems to get, for lack of a better term, fuller. It doesn't get thicker uh, in the flavor. It always tends to just get more bitter. This coffee's not like that. You can brew it exactly at the rate that you normally would, and it is just packed with flavor and it's not like it's a flavored coffee it tastes just like just regular coffee but it is just it's just bold i don't know I don't, it's not even like a bold like as in a dark roast it's just a very hearty flavor is the best way i know how to explain it it's the difference in like a lunchable and going to longhorn's steakhouse like it's it, there's just it's got some meat to it it's a great coffee uh, and a couple of cool things about this. So one, their coffees, it looks like to me on their website, all of their coffees are named after uh, American Indian tribes, um, which is really cool to me. Uh, I know a lot of people these days are running away from, you know, we don't want to name things after Indians because we might offend them. And so it's really refreshing to me to see a company, I don't know about their politics, don't care about their politics, but it's refreshing to me to see a company who is honoring American Indians and their heritage and, quite frankly, American heritage by naming uh, their coffees after some American Indian tribes. You know, it wasn't wasn't that long ago we had, you know, Pontiac Car Company. We had, um, you know, the... Um, oh, the Cleveland Indians, all these, you know, um, Atlanta Braves, of course, is still a team, but has come under fire for their name. So, you know, we're, we've gotten kind of soft. And so I'm glad to see that uh, Pine Top is not getting soft on us. And they have proudly named their coffee uh, after some uh, American Indian tribes. Another cool thing about it uh, that I've found that is unique about this coffee company is they offer uh, some personality matching with their coffee. So let me just... Oh, man. So, the Navajo blend, they describe it, uh, its personality profile is kind, generous, welcoming, smooth, laid back, and peaceful. Now, if you know me personally, if you're listening to this podcast, I would hope that those things would uh, characterize myself. 
I know many of my friends I characterize that way. And so this is a really cool coffee uh, in the fact that they kind of try to match the coffee with the personality type. Uh, so kind of unique, very different. Uh, but uh, as you can hear by the music, I am long over my drip of the day segment. But this is a, man, this is a really good cup of coffee and it was worth the extra few minutes to talk about it. So check them out, pinetopcoffeeroasters.com. They also are a a brewer, a, a beer brewer, so don't get those two confused. You might have a little bit different morning if you go with Pine Top Brewing Company over Pine Top Coffee, so be careful with ordering that, wink, wink. Oh, man, but do order it. I will say the shipping... I don't know why they do this, but they uh, they only give you the option of priority shipping, so the shipping will, will hit you a little bit if you're too far away from Arizona. Uh, but nevertheless, it's worth it. So check them out, pinetopcoffeeroasters.com. All right, so this week uh, we're going to pick back up on our Origins of Liberty series. Uh, the last episode we did two weeks ago, we were talking about the Mayflower Compact and the three doctrines within uh, the Mayflower Compact that had been talked about for centuries before. Uh, Of those three, we had, number one, that people have the uh, authority to set up their own government and to choose how their own government operates. Two, that the people have the right to put in place, put people in place that they feel as uh, are God-ordained leaders to put in those offices. And then three, is that the people have the authority to set up the bounds in which that government operates. And so, of course, as we mentioned on that episode, all three of those principles are very prevalent throughout our founding documents and uh, even going back to the Mayflower Compact in 1620. Uh, So, uh, those three principles are incredibly important and play a massive role in the direction that our country has has been heading, but also where it came from. Uh, and so, now, interestingly here, those three doctrines were, at this point, by 1620, had mostly been used in discussing religious government. So, Catholic church government, Anglican church government, hierarchies, things like that. And so, it, you know, it kind of translated itself well into civil government and into the uh, world of politics. And so that's where, you know, the United States was born on the back of introducing those doctrines into the civil world, into the, uh, what we'll call the carnal world, I guess, if you want to say that, the the not spiritual world. Um, but interestingly, with those three things, those three items, the three doctrines, they put a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility on the individual person, whether they are, um, you know, a a higher up in society or just a common person. They put a very heavy onus on the responsibility of the individual. And so, as a result of that, you cannot execute these three doctrines that the the, the Puritans and the Separatists at this point had developed and really put on paper and had you know derived from the Bible. The only way you achieve those three things, meaning picking your own government, picking the right people to put in that government, and then setting up the bounds in which that government operates, you cannot do that if you're an illiterate people. And the Puritans and Separatists uh, and our early founders recognized that, and so they put a huge, huge emphasis on education and literacy, and thus become became rather the the need for Christian education or church-based education. And we saw that for 
really hundreds of years in this country, and we still have it. It's very, very prevalent in the United States today where you have Christian schools. Uh, ironically, now uh, it's um, predominantly Catholic churches, and the reason I say I do- uh, ironically is, you know, in the in the mid-1800s, late-1800s, um, you know, we actually had a movement uh, to keep you know, Catholic influence out of public schools and to keep Catholic uh, doctrines out of schools. And, and there was a, a, a giant movement uh, after the Civil War uh, that was pushed by many, many higher-ups like Ulysses S. Grant and several others where uh, it was an all-out assault, really, if you will, on the religious liberty of the Catholic Church. And so, Never mind uh, your personal beliefs and convictions on doctrine and things like that. Just from a standpoint of freedom of religion, it's interesting to see that lapse in our American judgment in the late 1800s. Um, to ex- there were there was attempts. Their whole reason that public schools were um, uh, initially brought about was to help keep funding away from Catholic education, which is a fascinating. It's a fascinating study. I encourage you to, to take your time and go through that and, and do some learning on, um, you know, the, the anti-Catholic movement of the late 1800s and really even in the early 1900s. Uh, and that really, truthfully, that didn't go away until around the 1950s and 1960s. Um, you know, John F. Kennedy being the first Catholic president we ever had really kind of broke the back of the anti-Catholic movement. Um, and Catholicism has been growing, you know, by leaps and bounds in the last several decades in the United States. And so I think a lot of that is a result of, you know, um, society, you know, and the attitude of society and their overall perception of Catholicism. And a lot of that has to do with immigration, you know, with uh, a lot of Italians and, um, 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 Irish uh, moving to the United States over the past 100 years, of course, those two countries being heavily, heavily Catholic, um, I think that also helped uh, to, to bring, uh, bring about some acceptance of Catholicism um, in the United States, as, as we've seen in the, really in the past 30 to 40 years, we've seen it grow by leaps and bounds. Um, but so, all that to say, literacy and education, I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail here with that, I just recognized, but literacy and education were extremely important uh, to the Puritans and Separatists. And reason being, is the three doctrines that we just mentioned a few minutes ago with the Mayflower Compact and, and really all of our founding documents, those three doctrines cannot be upheld and followed if you have an illiterate and um, you know mentally lame Populous, and the founders recognize that. Our you know more recent founders, meaning recent meaning the 1700s, late 1700s, 1776, those founders recognize that, and that's honestly what birthed the Sunday School movement, uh, which was started by our founding fathers as well. Uh, and so you know again. I don't know if you can hear this or not, but I can hear heads popping and exploding over the mountains uh, where we have our progressive left friends that cannot believe that the government would be dictated by Christianity at all. There's supposed to be a separation of church and state. Well, honestly, that's kind of backwards from the way the founders perceived this whole thing. The founders not only saw the separation of church and state to be the state staying out of the church's business and not the opposite, but they actually saw a responsibility for uh, the church to teach people and to get involved in government to make sure that government stayed a uh, a government that was fit for a moral and religious people, or rather, the the, the, the that the people were moral and religious uh, because our system of government depended on a moral and religious people. And to be, to be honest, a, a literate and educated people, as we've been saying here. 
And so, that that onus of education, that importance of education that the Puritans and the Separatists uh, had, that perceived import, is what really brought about our the, the country that we know and love now. Uh, you know, the Bible says that wherever your treasure is, your heart is also. If you look at the United States budget, uh, and I'm paraphrasing there, forgive my, forgive my lack of clarity on my scripture, but um, if you go through uh, the budget, the federal budget now, far and away is our budget, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest spins in the U.S. federal government is education, the Department of Education. And then if you include in that state departments of education and you include in that local school districts, it's unbelievable the amount of money the United States spends on education, and that comes directly from the hands of the Puritans and the Separatists. Uh, they were very, very, very strict with education and ensuring that they had a, a literate populace. You know, honestly, if you think about it and really put yourself back in the 1600s, 1700s, I mean, think about how much the population was educated. And then think about the fact that we had so many people in our founding that were not idiots. They were all brilliantly educated and extremely smart. If you read their writings and their understanding and grasp of not only the English language, but of archaic texts and and reading, you know, Plato and Aristotle and all these people and having a firm grasp on reality and where the human race has come from and where we are headed and an understanding of the Bible, like... I, I it's shocking to me founders that you've probably never even heard of uh, Roger Sherman uh, it was a great example just an outstanding understanding of the Bible um, and probably have never even heard of Roger Sherman more than likely um, you know it's it's incredible the grasp these guys had of the Bible and it's because such an such a emphasis was put on education and literacy and you can even go back to um, you know Thomas Jefferson, his recommendations as he was president of the United States. Uh, at that time, the Washington, D.C. school district wanted him to be superintendent. And of course, being president of the United States, he was a little bit busy. And so, what he recommended that they do, uh, his recommendations to the school district to help them uh, guide their children in the right direction was to have two books uh, that, they, that, they, that the kids should learn to read and write from. And that was Isaac Watts' hymnals, uh, where we get, you know, Faith of Our Fathers, we get, uh, you know, just a host of hymns. Uh, if you are a church-going person and you still use a hymnal, I know that's kind of a dying thing, uh, but if you still use a hymnal, go through it, your hymnal and look at how many songs were written by Isaac Watts. Uh, and so his hymnal, his compilation of songs, um, was uh, one of the texts that Thomas Jefferson recommended for education in the Washington, D.C. school district. The second was the Bible. And the Bible, meaning the unaltered, unedited, unabridged King James Version Bible. And, you know, that it goes, it flies directly in the face of those who say that Thomas Jefferson was, you know, anti-Christian and cut up his Bible and, and did all this sort of stuff. And they, they point to the Jefferson Bible as, as an indication of his Christianity. I think it would surprise most people to know that, that he did he told the Washington, D.C. school district to use the Bible as a textbook, a literacy textbook, and a, and a book to learn to read and write from, and not only read and write, but science, mathematics, all those things you could learn from the Bible. And, you know, to top all that off, while all this was going on, Thomas Jefferson was, the, was one of the founders of the American Bible Society. 
Um, so, you know, it's really difficult to say that Thomas Jefferson was anything less than, you know, at, at the very, very least, a proud and happy supporter of the Holy Bible and Christianity. Um, we can pick apart his doctrine. We can do all that sort of stuff. We can do that about each other. But the fact of the matter is, Thomas Jefferson was not an atheist. He was not a deist. He had a firm reliance on his divine uh, creator, just as he said in the Declaration of Independence. Oh, man. Navajo, baby. That tastes great. Navajo blend. Good coffee. But all that aside, uh, you know, just something to think about and something we're going we're gonna to kind of transition into next week, getting into the more, uh, more closely related foundings, you know, in the 1776, 1780s, 1790s, and really the early to mid-1800s we're going to start hitting on next week. Um, but a couple things I wanted to talk to you about, uh, current events related, we don't do this a whole lot, but I think it's a direction we're going to try to start heading in. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Elon Musk had a quite an had a quite an interesting week this week um, with Twitter and a, a Daily Wire situation where uh, Matt Walsh's documentary uh, "What Is a Woman?" Uh, the Daily Wire had plans to put that up on Twitter as a movie for public viewing for free uh, to mark the one year anniversary. This was to be on Friday of uh, of last week, and at this point. Uh, Matt Walsh was being barred from posting it, or he could post it, I guess. But Twitter basically told him that no, this is not going to, this is not going to make it to any of your followers. You can post it all you want to, you can scream as loud as you want to behind that brick wall, but nobody's going to hear you. That's still freedom of speech. And naturally, that really kind of flies in the face of everything that Elon Musk had has really claimed to be, and he's been a very loud. Um, defender of free speech and and has you know really been clear about that. So it was kind of a kind of a shock to see that. Um, but nevertheless, Elon Musk doing what he does best and and really kind of clapping back at some of the people who were holding him up and saying, "Hey, great job here, Elon Musk for for putting one in the eye of the Daily Wire." And so, what does Elon Musk do? He retweets the movie himself and bypasses his own company's policies the ridiculous policies by the way um and uh and and as a result of that two of his top executives resigned from the company and left which is great news um if there are people uh, you know elon musk has made uh great changes in twitter um and i you know i used to never use twitter uh, and then since he's taken over i kind of gave it a look and i love it i think it's a great uh, a great outlet and it's a great place to get news and it's honestly probably one of the most frequently updated platforms uh and most up-to-date platforms out there um facebook is always you know three to five maybe sometimes 10 hours behind on the news cycle uh, Twitter is is you know I'm not sure about before because uh, I never did really use it a whole lot but since I've been using it since the the Musk takeover uh, started using it out of curiosity and man if you want to keep uh, up to date with current events Twitter is a place for you and so it was great to see Elon Musk taking a stand yet again for free speech but also he made another comment uh, uh, just a few hours ago um, or well, this at the time of this recording. Um, where he has gone on to say that um, that uh, what do they call it G- gender reaffirming care or gender affirming care basically a sex change uh, where they basically are mutilating children he said that that is an evil practice now 
How that's controversial, I don't know. Um, America, here's the thing. America has not lost its mind. You have the squeaky wheel uh, scenario here where, you know, if you were to watch the media, if you were to really, if you were to spend too much time on Twitter, you would think that 95% of the country is LGBTQ, AIP plus divided by sign, you know, the laundry list. And in reality, it's not. Uh, transgenders, I think, make up like, I don't know, less than, it's definitely less than a percent. It might even be less than half a percent of the population. And yet you've got these massive corporations that are bending over backward to please such a small minority. You know, it's, it's, I don't think Elon Musk is, while I do think that what he is doing is somewhat brave, just giving the, the societal climate, it really, if you think about it, it's really not that, uh, should not be that controversial. Society in general, American society, uh, and that's really kind of the point of this podcast, is analyzing American society and American culture. I think American culture has become somewhat weak, and I think it's become morally uh, weak. However, I think a lot of what we as conservatives complain about and, and we are wringing our hands about is really a very, very, very small minority of the country. I think, you know, based off latest statistics, Christianity is getting weaker and weaker by the minute. However, it's still something like 80% of the of the country claims to be Christian. While they might not be, you know, showing up at the church building three times a week, they still claim Christianity. They're not ashamed of that. And so I think that's important to remember whenever we get ourselves in a tizzy and really start worrying about, you know, the direction of the country. Absolutely, we should, and absolutely, we need to do what we can to keep the culture in the right direction and do everything we can to keep a spit shine on the culture. But really, in reality, if you look at the way things are heading, I think things are heading in the right direction. And before you... Uh, stop listening to me for such a crazy statement as that. If you're a conservative, I want you to think about something here for a minute. We have so Roe versus Wade was 1973. I really and truthfully, I'm not old. I'm not even 30 years old yet. I really and truthfully thought I would never see Roe versus Wade overturned in my lifetime, and we have seen that. And that has been, you know, that has been the direct result of a lot of prayer in this country, first and foremost. But second of all, that's the result of a lot of Christians showing up in Washington, D.C. every year by the hundreds of thousands, uh, you know, with the March for Life and a bunch of other organizations and, and events, and showing up and making their voices heard. And not only that, but getting involved in the backs and the, and the uh, behind the scenes stuff with, um, you know, a lot of uh, polit- political organizations and things like that, getting justice as a place that'll actually do the job and not be, you know, John Roberts weenies on, on stuff. Um, so, you know, that's that's a great sign. Not only that, but you're seeing uh, some of the biggest, you know, the conservative movement has been a real stranger to boycotts and things like that over the past, well, really ever. We Conservatives typically are not boycotters. And in the past six months, I'd, I'll just back it up and say in a year, we've seen some of the some of the most effective boycotts I think that we have ever seen, left or right, at the hands of conservatives, um, and making good movements to the point where a giant corporation, Anheuser Busch, came to the table and tried to backpedal and apologize to conservatives and and gain back some of their audience. And kudos to you for being uh, you know as conservatives and not backing off that. You know, hit them where it hurts, and where that hurts is their pocketbook. All these, all these companies—Disney, Anheuser Busch, Bud Light, and specifically Bud Light, uh, Bud Light uh, Target—hit them where it hurts. 
They are kowtowing and bending to appease elitists, not the common people. And they should be penalized for that, 100%. I am not one of these conservatives that think that, you know, a boycott is an ignorance of the free market. No, boycotting is the free market. Whenever you as a company decide to enter the public sphere with your own thoughts and ideas, you have opened yourself up and have granted yourself the right to take punishment for that. And, you know, a good example of that is Ben and Jerry's ice cream. We've known for... uh, well over a decade that Ben and Jerry are wildly anti-Semitic. Wildly anti-Semitic. And, and you know what? The consumer makes that choice when they go there. You know, they know that Ben and Jerry's aren't hiding that fact. They've been very outspoken on that. Uh, and so, you know, it's not it's not an ignorance of free market principles to boycott. I think that's a, a very useful tool. Uh, and you saw that work in the civil rights movement back in the 60s. You saw it work with women's suffrage back in the 20s. Um, you know, so it's a very useful tool. And, you know, just as your neighbor, as your fellow conservative, stick it to them. They, this is what happens. I believe Mark Levin said this uh, very eloquently last week. He said, you know, this is what happens when you push good people too far. They have pushed us too far. And, you know, and I know... I know Elon Musk has very little to do with the boycotts and as far as having this discussion, but I think it's fantastic that you have somebody like Elon Musk who is willing to it's not even it's not even make controversial statements of truth. He's just saying true things and it's setting the world on fire. And so, you know, the reason I am bringing these two things together, boycotting and Elon Musk, I encourage you follow Twitter, get on Twitter. Uh, be a member, and you know this show is going to be on Twitter from now on. We've been posting our Podbean link on Twitter for a while now, and have been uploading you know a a link to Twitter. Uh, but we're making strides as of this week to get the show on Twitter. I know a lot of companies have been doing that. Daily Wire has been doing that and working that direction, uh, which was a lot of the what the firestorm was about last week. Um, but. You know, just as effective, uh, just as effective as a boycott is, uh, is supporting an organization that supports free speech. Now, and make, make no bones about it, Elon Musk is not a conservative. Elon Musk is pr- probably a very liberal guy. I'm sure there's very few things that you and I uh, probably would agree with Elon Musk on. However, he is doing the right thing. He is standing up for spree- for free speech. He is calling out evil when evil is present like mutilating children for the sake of some emotional goddess of of self. And kudos to him for doing that. And I think we, you and I have a responsibility to use the free market to up, uplift somebody like that, reward him for doing good. You know, um, Twitter has, uh, you know, payment options now, subscription options now. Um, you know, blue checkmark, you know, the blue checkmark verif- verification process, all that is a pay-to-play thing now, which is great. <laughs> It, it, it keeps them from getting hit by advertisers like, uh, you know, Mercedes-Benz and Bud Light and Ford Motor Company and, uh, you know, Target from pulling their advertisements and crushing the organization because they stand for free speech. And absolutely, you need to support them. Support people like The Blaze who have done a have done a similar thing in a similar model where, yes, they have advertisers, but they are largely subscription-based so that whenever, you know, the, the organized opposition comes from the progressive left and tries to take out their, um, their advertisers, they withstand the storm because it's you, it's people like you who are paying the bills and subscribing. 
With that, I want to encourage you, we are going to start putting some behind the paywall um, uh, material on patreon.com. We have a few tiers lifted, uh, listed for you. If you would like to subscribe, if you'd like to look at the behind the scenes content and get some additional brood in America content, we have five, 10, $15 subscriptions, uh, with, you know, merchandise options and things like that. So, you know, really please go take, uh, take a look at that at patreon.com. Uh, we're still doing, doing some behind the scenes beta testing with that and trying to get some bugs worked out, but I'll let you know when that goes live here in the next week or two. But we are going to go that same direction and make sure that you have access to uh, great content, even more than the free content that you get every week. Uh, and please do. We also have been very heavily involved in YouTube lately with uh, doing YouTube shorts. And we're working to get to a point where we can uh, be monetized as a channel. So help us in doing that by going and watching the shorts, watching our videos on YouTube. Uh, and we even post the audio-only files of the podcast every week on YouTube as a video. So, you know, we really, really appreciate you listening uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please continue to do that. But please also, uh, you know, if you have friends or family that maybe don't listen to podcasts, send them over to YouTube and help us out there get our view counts up so that we can uh, increase our ability to bring you amazing content every week. And we really, uh, I know I as the host and I as the founder and proprietor of Brood in America, I genuinely hope that you think that this is the best podcast of your week. And if it's not, send me a message and tell me how we can make it better. Send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let me know how we can improve the show. Let me know if you have coffee suggestions. Let me know if you have content suggestions. And like I say, we're going to start getting into some more commentary and and thoughts on current events to help us, uh, you know, keep you informed and up to date and help you uh, make relation to America of the past and how to tie that in with America of the present and the current cultural events that are going on and help you kind of make heads or tails of what's going on and how that relates to our past. With that, America, I love you so much. Please go back and listen to last week's uh, homage to Memorial Day. If you haven't already, that was a very fun episode for us to do. We put a lot of time and effort into that. We are looking forward looking forward to, to another special episode on 4th of July um, that will be a big f- audio firework Strav- extravaganza. Um, um, you know, it's going to be a, a really good, fun episode. So be looking forward to that. And in the meantime, go back and check out our Memorial Day episode from last week. Again, America, I love you. Check out pinetopcoffeeroasters.com. Order a bag of Navajo coffee, but only if your personality is kind, generous, welcoming, smooth, laid back, and peaceful, such as your host, Gordon Michael Porter. But if you have another personality type, they have another coffee for you that matches your personality type. So go check them out, pinetopcoffeeroasters.com. Go check us out on YouTube uh, and take a few minutes to look at our shorts and look at our... (laughs) Don't look at our... Look, we don't have videos of us in our shorts on YouTube, but we have YouTube shorts that you need to go look at. Not look at our shorts. That's a that's a different YouTube channel. In fact, that might be what I put behind the paywall to get subscribers. So, uh, you know, good luck with that, right, Gordon? Okay. Anyway, America, I love you. I'll see you next week. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye-bye.